Thank you, Andrew and Rory and the three uh, song selectors. Um, you know, when you, you do those, when you just go to the crowd and you pick a song, you know, you always go, it's kind of by chance those songs happen. And of course, we know that's not true. And um, I was sitting there listening to the three songs, even yours, Andy, the, the first one, which I had not heard before. And I was going, boy, you know, if I was picking a song, this one really fits in uh, for uh, today. And uh, so it's, it's just a pleasure, and I'm excited to be here with, with all of you. I've mentioned before, Sunday evenings to me are, are not to take away from Sunday mornings, because those are great. But Sunday evenings to me are terrific, because throughout the years, Sunday evening was always kind of the start of the next week to kind of get me moving and, and thinking properly. And what would happen is from work, Monday through Friday, then you'd have Saturday, and then you, of course, would have the great Sunday morning worship. But Sunday evening was one where when you're at home before you come to Sunday evening, you're always thinking about everything you're going to do, right? What needs to be done this week and all at work. And I found that really the evening service did just a terrific time of getting me to reprogram, if you will, on getting on to the things that are important. So I hope we're able to, to do that uh, tonight and with the series. Uh, I think what I'd like to do is thank Roman, first of all, for making the church available and allowing us to, to have these services. Um, and also, we did 2 Timothy last year, so, so like a, a good Protestant, now we're going to do 1 Timothy. So uh, we'll have to see how that all ties together. And I'm going to have my favorite uh, Bible reader read our verse today a little bit later. But Andy, it's only two verses, and they're very quick. So, so um, that'll be great. But I was thinking as I was putting this together, and I've really titled tonight, because we're going to be covering two things. We're going to cover 1 Timothy 1 and 2, which will be the second part. The first part is I wanted to share some of the things that I've been doing, and that is focusing on preaching and, and Bible teaching, which um, I couldn't believe it when I really started doing it. I've been doing it for several weeks now and digging into it, and I found out it's very hard to focus on the art of preaching. Uh, I do a lot of speaking, uh, like at work and, and other things to groups, but as I started digging into uh, preaching, even more so, Roman, I have far more respect for you now and, and really what it takes to actually preach week in, week out, and live that life and everything else. And we're, we're very blessed to have a pastor like Roman. And I don't want to get off on talking about a lot of other churches, but we are really blessed here at this church. And uh, we have so many wonderful people that, that go here, and uh, Roman, your leadership is greatly appreciated. And I also learned a lesson, I'll point it out here, that um, I need to do more of, and you'll, you'll hear what that is too. But I was reading a, a reference book, which if you're interested, you're certainly welcome to pick it up. I was going to bring it, and I left it. I was so excited about the Yankee win today and the Dodger loss that I forgot to grab this. But I read Biblical Preaching, which is a book uh, the Development and Delivery of, of Expository Messages 
by Haddon W. Robinson. If you have any interest in reading about preaching, teaching, this is one excellent book. I read parts of, this one I read the whole thing. I read parts of probably four or five other preaching books, but I have to tell you this one was eye-opening. This is eye-opening, how to prepare, what to say, and um, what not to say. And it really was a good overview worth looking at. You know, history, our history has seen a significant change when it comes to the position of the pastor uh, and any pastor and the general population. It used to be that, sadly, preachers and Bible teachers used to be regarded as the intellectual and even the spiritual leaders within their communities, whether it was with believers or not. They were highly, highly respected and very, very different than our culture today. Um, I'm sure that Roman could share a lot of stories that he'll be talking to somebody, and the minute that they find out that he's a pastor, then there's some interesting responses that you would never would never have happened, let's say, 100 years ago in the community. Because again, it was in its proper place, and now it has gotten out of its proper place, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But a wonderful place to begin defining in, uh, a preacher or a teacher uh, and a weighty responsibility that is upon them is to clearly show the congregation Christ. Let me say it one more time. The job of a, there's lots of them, but a main one is to clearly show the congregation Christ. Now, several of the books I read on preaching as well were by John MacArthur, a couple of us know him, like almost everybody, right? Uh, we kind of return to, return to him. I've always heard him as he's the uh, pope for the evangelical Christian church. But, but there's tremendous joy in having a congregation. This is John MacArthur speaking. There's tremendous joy in having a congregation that loves Christ because that love compels the people to honor and serve him. And I gave that a lot of thought, and I started thinking about my responsibility as a church member here, therefore your responsibility. What really does this mean? And when I saw that, I thought, why do we always turn to the pastor or, uh, in our case right now, the deacons, to be setting the pace and to be responsible for everything, and then we may or may not be involved. And yet... What John MacArthur is pointing out here is when we here, as we do Sunday in, Sunday out, we learn more about Christ, it should really be energizing us, right, to be more servants for Christ and even more servants for this church. You know, um, I think I'm just going to say on their behalf, I think, I think Roman and Nancy, they have their hands full. They have plenty. They don't need more. They don't need to be picking up everything that, that needs to be done amongst us. And so certainly being having preaching that honors Christ really helps every one of us. Um, Roman, I also learned something that I thought was interesting. Didn't learn in front of a book, but I thought about it. Sometimes you'll hear, that was really a good message. And I know he hears that too. And then, you know, other times, people just kind of look at you and say, yeah, thanks for that message, whatever that might mean, or that was a terrible message. 
And I started thinking about that too. And I began to realize if we do the things that were mentioned in that one book that I mentioned at the beginning, what you preach is to be God's word. What you're teaching are principles from God's word. If you've got a problem with what happened in a sermon, the first check, place you need to check is not there, not here, right? But to check to see if God's word is being honored. And that is so important. And then also, are we really prepared to listen to a sermon? Because let's just take uh, Sunday morning. It never happened to you on Monday, uh, Sunday nights when I'm talking. But what happens on Sunday mornings, we're he our head's racing. There's all sorts of things that are going on, going on. And we have a tendency of, you know, we sing. We love to sing. And then Roman will get started. And I don't do this, but the rest of you do. Your mind starts racing on who knows what. Everything else that's going on in life. And yet... This is the word of God that's being shared with us. The word of God. Can you imagine if this Sunday that Roman would have said, okay, next Sunday morning, we're going to have Jesus here and uh, hope you can get here and hope you make it and uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, you know, I have a feeling we'd be more prepared if we came here, if Jesus was here. I think sometimes, me included, I take for granted the pastor, the work he's poured into what's going on that day. And sometimes if it's a portion of scripture I don't want to listen to, I kind of will start buzzing away. And I was a better parishioner this morning, Roman, because I was thinking about all that I had been reading and, and thinking about, and I found I got a whole new appreciation, not that I didn't have one before, but a whole new appreciation for what he does. As we know, a preacher can't offer a congregation anything better than truth. That's the best thing that he can bring, best thing any teacher can bring. Even the greatest teachers of all time, our Lord Jesus Christ, still experienced different responses from his followers. And that's amazing. Because I will guarantee you one time or another, Roman has thought, well, why didn't I get more positive response? Or why, isn't, why aren't us bringing more people to come hear the message each week? But you know what, Roman, I found something that was very interesting. We all know it, but I heard it in this term. For instance, the Apostle Peter and Judas both directly heard Jesus' great teaching in person, did they not? Saw notable examples, of how, noble examples on how to live from the perfect man and heard the same gospel. They heard all the same thing. And I'm not going to say that Jesus wasn't a good preacher. Are you? No, he's a perfect preacher. But yet, Peter betrayed Christ, but then in belief he repented. Went on to be a great positive influence and leader on the church, and he'll spend eternity in heaven. Judas, on the other hand, betrayed Jesus, kind of like Peter, in a different way, experienced unrighteous anger. He is a very angry man. Continued sinning by killing himself. And, you know, due to unbelief, he's going to spend eternity in hell. Yet he had the best teaching ever. So I go through all this to say, 
If you're having trouble growing in your spiritual walk, I'm going to suggest it's not Roman's fault, certainly not my fault, and any other teacher's. It's really, are we relying on the Holy Spirit to take what we hear? Do we thank the Holy Spirit before Sunday morning starts? Thank you, Holy Spirit, and help me to learn what you want me to learn. Help me to be more like Jesus. Let me look for Jesus and what is taught. So the teacher has a responsibility to portray truth, while the hearer has a responsibility to learn and believe truth. And this idea of believing truth is so important because a lot of times I rebel when I hear some things that are true when I have a sin problem in that area. I'll say things to myself like, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm saved by grace. Do I really need to be concerned when Roman or any of us brings forth a truth? And we're supposed to repent when necessary. Not just once. Life of a Christian is constant repenting, is it not? Constant. A regular. And here's the one I didn't want to write in here. Obey. We are to obey. And you know, when it comes to obeying, we, whether it's the Lord Jesus Christ or anyone else, a lot of times don't like people telling us what to do. Or we justify in our mind, well, it might be kind of a sinful area, but I'm not really that bad. Which is code for, if you ever hear yourself telling yourself that, yes, you are. Okay, you really are that bad. So preaching in Paul's mind was this, which I thought was interesting. Speaking through the personality and message of a preacher to confront men and women, and bring them to Christ. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. You heard that verse before, 2 Timothy 4.2. We covered that, as a matter of fact, last, last time when we were meeting in the evenings. Here Paul encourages Timothy to preach the word. Now here's something I didn't quite know, which means, anybody know what preach means? Preach the word? Got an idea? You're going to be very disappointed. To cry out. Cry out the word passion. This is from God. This is what we're to be doing. To cry it out. And every one of us, in whatever sphere we have in our world, need to be doing the same thing. We're all preachers. One form or another. Where we work, our neighborhoods, our families... Preachers must cry out the word or it's not Christian preaching. We're commanded to cry it out. Through the preaching of scripture, God encounters men and women to bring them to salvation. Now, we know 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Most of you know it. I'm still going to read it. And how from a child you've been acquainted with the sacred writings that you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out of, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That is a boatload of stuff right there. 
every Sunday, every sermon that we get is from God. When Roman is speaking to us on Sunday morning, he's trying to help us reach this point, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Loving Jesus, equipped for every good work. Now the preachers are to preach that way and the congregation or us are also to listen to the richness and rightness of Christian character. Not from the standpoint of, look at me, I'm so much better off than somebody else. And I wonder if sometimes the people we influence or have around us think that maybe we think we're a little bit too good. And that is dangerous. Because I've got news for you. Me excluded, we're not all good. Well, okay, throw me in there too. We are not good, and we'll find out how that, why that is and how preaching can help us with that. You're very kind to be coming here on Sunday evenings. I appreciate that. We're here for the Lord. We're here to get challenged. I find that even if you're not interested in what I'm saying, you do a good job pretending you're interested, and I appreciate that. But as we all know, we aren't really here for me at all. Pastor Rich Holland, some of you will, will know uh, Rich Holland. Rich Holland used to, um, he came from Grace Community Church. Great, great man of God. He said this, in reality, it's hard to get people's attention and teaching clarity demands simplicity. So when we're teaching, when we're semi-preaching, uh, we are to make it as simple as possible. Do not add as many big words as you can so that everybody at the end goes, boy, he's really smart. R.C. Spohl excluded from that comment. That's not why or how teaching and preaching should be done. Teaching and pre preaching should be taking these God thoughts broken down as simple as possible when we are giving truth. The cool thing is, the Holy Spirit ties that all together and works it back up into an act from God. And so, even when you're talking to somebody it, or doing what we're doing here tonight, the Trinity's involved. I think that's true on Sunday morning too, right, Roman? But... You know, when it talks about simplicity, first the teacher explaining the second us learning must unpack and put together how does something that happened back in Bible times, way back then, have any relevance, bearing, or meaning in our life today? So many preachers and teachers are most, and this is going to be hard to get, so we'll think a little bit, um, which I know is hard in the evening, so a little bit warm too. So many preachers and teachers are most interested in what the text meant. What does, this, what does this mean or meant? While those in the congregation are mainly wrestling, well, what does this mean to me in their own world today? There's a weird dynamic going on here. Tonight, when Roman's preaching, like in the mornings, when he's doing that, when I'm doing that, my mind's a little different than yours on the text. 
because I want to be faithful to the text. That's what I want to give. And sometimes us teachers or pastors can do a good job trying to say, here's how you apply it. But you know where it's best having that come from? When you hear something, what's best? Who's best to come up with the application? The Holy Spirit through you. Not, here's five things you can do to fulfill this passage we just talked about. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And so I'm trying to kind of point out here, it takes work to be in the congregation and listening to preaching. It takes a lot of work. If you're getting what you should be getting out of the preaching. If you're just kind of, oh good, he only has 10 minutes left and then we can eat. Probably you're not on the right track. Probably not. And we have a lot more than 10 minutes, so don't be thinking about that tonight right now. So it's important to remember that the text can never mean, this is something, Roman, I've never heard this. Correct it if it's wrong. I think it's awesome. So it's important to remember that the text can never mean something today that it did not meant originally. And I read that in this book, and I, I stopped, and I thought, first I want to make sure I understand this. And the more I understood it, I went, yeah, that's how we keep away from cults, right? That we think about what was this author saying in this portion of Scripture, understand what it did then, and then you can worry about how might that tie to us today. But what we do is that many people will hear something that was very, very much meant for Israel only. Bible's filled with that. So if, I know that we, quote, like to think we're spiritual Israel, but, and in a way we are, in a way, but we have to define terms a little more carefully. But the fact is there are some things that were meant for Israel only. Which tells me I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in application but I am in principle wanting to understand that and then maybe taking that principle and find other scripture that would back up that's meaningful for me as a believer today, right? The preacher's job is to move from the past to the present, from the historic to the contemporary, from the particular to the universal. That's a lot of work, a lot of work for a pastor. And I don't know if you think, well, Roman probably spends, I don't know, 30 minutes a week putting together his sermons. Um, not, quite. not quite. For this that I'm going through, I couldn't even give you the hours that it took to get this. I, I really couldn't because I started it several weeks ago. There should be a pattern of questioning for how the congregation under understand and apply words, God's word, such as, what did the text originally mean to those whom it was originally written? Kind of covered that. The preacher and teacher should want to discern and explain the biblical author's intent. Yes, the Holy Spirit's intent, but that writer is under the influence of who? The Holy Spirit. So we want to understand what was being given through this writer from God and ultimately express what the Bible says all that the Bible says, and here's the key, and no more than what the Bible says. And it was mentioned, I wasn't sure, Roman, what 
it mentioned there when I was reading, come this evening, and the last sentence in the bulletin said, and we'll, we'll also discuss false teaching. Was that directed at me? Uh, I wasn't sure. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Actually, I think I wrote that. So, And I looked at it, and I went, yeah, this is, come and experience false teaching. Well, you don't have to leave your house to get false teaching, do you? Just turn on the news. You'll get plenty. But it's, we want to be taking God's word, articulate it. Don't come up with fancy things in our own mind. Focus on what was said, why it was said, how it was said. Great question for me as I wrap up putting together each sermon for our Sunday evenings will be this. What would Paul say about the intentions of his writing if he was sitting with us this evening and heard the message? When I get to his words finally here, I'm now starting to think, okay, obviously what would Jesus say is always on our mind, but what about the author? What about Paul? And then I thought, I wonder what Timothy would say about what we say compared to how he originally interpreted the various parts of the letter. And I found that very, very helpful to get me out of an intellectual exercise and make it more personal. If any of you know Paul or Timothy, I'm about ready if you want to call them in. We'll, be, we'll go ahead and do that. But there are other key questions. Has the gospel taught, truth been taught, and brought up naturally in the sermon? And I really like this. Because 1 Corinthians 9.16 talks about, For if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. That's how preachers and teachers, when it comes to God's word, should be incredibly humble. There's no boasting or passing along information. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And every time we meet, you ought to hear some form of the gospel. For each of you, do you see where the Lord would have you apply a principle in your life? So when you hear something, which I'm going to give you plenty before we get out of here, but asking yourself questions, challenging yourself, do you walk away from that message saying, what a God and what a gospel? And I'm going to suggest to you, if you walk away from any sermon, any teaching, even if it's bad or poorly done, if you don't ask yourself, what a God and what a gospel, and feel you can proclaim that, I think we, as listeners, miss some points. Now, it's easy to say, and I do believe John MacArthur's a great preacher. But he's a great preacher because of the Word of God. He's a great preacher because of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes, some ways, and like I said, I'm a huge fan of John MacArthur, but I think sometimes we want to plug a certain name in and say, oh, so-and-so is such a good teacher. Joe Olstein gets a little bit bigger crowd than we get here. Right? And yet people will walk out of there saying, what a great teacher. And he's leading people to hell. His gospel, if you listen to it, is not the gospel of the Bible. My guess, and it's only a guess, so don't run out with this Garyism and pass it around. I think more people could be saved in the Catholic Church than are in his church. 
I think that gospel that he proclaims that gets, what is it, 13,000, 15,000 a Sunday? Sad. 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 Well, that's about yours and my responsibility that we'll cover tonight. There's so much more that could be said, suffice it to say, scripture writers, previous Christians, and Holy Spirit went to great lengths to provide us with this right here. People have died to make sure that we have this today. And did I, did you, wander out of church this morning? Can't wait to go get those pancakes? And not take the truth that's here and challenge yourself so that you become more like Christ? I've told you what Roman has right here. Anybody remember? Do you know what's up there, Roman? You're probably blind with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it specifically. If it's still. Yeah. Yes. Right here, right? Yes. Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what should come out of here. That's what should come out of what we do on Sunday. Let us see Jesus. Let us be more in awe of Jesus when we leave than we were when he walked into the door. I don't care how much you think you worship him and you think he's great and how'd he do, you underthink who he is. You underknow who he is. You're underthankful. Oh, Gary, you don't know. How can you say that? You don't know me. I know because after, oh boy, 40 years of being a believer, I'll have to tell you that as much as I've learned, I sometimes wonder why I don't have that same excitement for Jesus. I was through the roof and thought I had lost my mind. I came home from work with her one day and I said, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. And guess what I do to her today? Hey, I think I'm getting it better. <laughs> you know, it's constant. You do not know Jesus as much as you should. And it's only because of our sinful nature, too. So as we go into, and we are going to go, and Andy, here's your time to be famous, if you would, tonight. And read uh, 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2. You can do it right from where you sit, because it'll only take you about 30 seconds. That's right. I'm reading this from the uh, Legacy Standard Bible, which is based on the New American Standard. I want that Bible. I, I, I've, I've bought two copies of it, and I can't get it. Maybe it's offshore. Yeah, really. Thank you. Thank you. Don't you just love his voice when he reads scripture? <laughs> You've made my evening. I just love it. But I kind of did an outline, which I didn't used to do. 
this is one of the things that I've been working on. And I kind of came up with a title for this part because we're only going to deal with those two verses. But it's a voice from the past for the good of the future. You have to remember, Timothy and Paul have been separated. As a matter of fact, Paul had left Timothy and Ephesus to take care of the church and probably gave him pretty good instruction, which we'll dig into a little later too, uh, some other nights. Gave him good instruction, and Timothy did not do one of the major things he had been asked to do for this church. He did not guard truth. I'm not saying Timothy didn't in a lot of ways do it, but it was going rampant in the Ephesian church. We'll really get to that uh, next week. But I thought, isn't this interesting? Even churches back then had problems. And the only reason why they did is because they had people. That's why. We're the problems. There are some bigger troublemakers than others. But there was a lot going on. First Timothy was written in the mid-60s. Not in the 60s you're thinking about. Way, way long time ago. When Paul was in between two prison terms. Oh, Paul was tough. Paul was brutal. In prison, maybe even more effective in his ministry than when he was out. But he knew time was short because he knew what he was teaching was ticking off somebody called Nero. Now, you think we have nasty leaders now in our country? Not even close to him. The stories on Nero, which I will also get into later on, will help us understand quit whining for what we're facing and the wah-wah hard times we have compared to what the Apostle Paul faced or Timothy or maybe somebody named Jesus. They're the ones that ought to be whining, but you don't hear that. The book's theme, when First Timothy includes true teaching, leads to practical and visible change in the lives of those who believe. The churches in the day seem to be in more danger from serious internal threats than from external persecution. Isn't that interesting? You talk to any pastor, and if they've been around for a while, they can attest to this statement. The problems come from within the church, not outward. Isn't that fascinating? Paul's letter, and by the way, we'll cover some of that too in weeks to come. Why it's important for you to know it so that it protects us from ever getting into that kind of shape. Because anybody, anybody can mislead people. Do you know why? Yours and my heart is what? Deceitful and desperately wicked and the guy who discipled me fell away from the Lord. And I would have told you, impossible, never would 